on this week's episode of the Green Door Podcast. Ads and I go for a hike, and we try to stay on top of the weather. We wonder if Feanor was prophetic or lucky when he captured the light of the trees. We attack the question, who made the first weapons? We wonder if dragon sickness was around before dragons were. And we point out that the Lord of the Rings is just the tip of the iceberg. All this and much more, coming up right now. Just up this last pitch here. To the top. James, great to see you. Look, I've got some firewood. Uh, I found it just just down just down the hill there. Um, we can set this fire going and um, get some get some food on. Yes, sir. Food sounds good. Just let me catch my breath. One deep one. Ads, <clears throat> ah, always prepared. Great to see you, buddy. Uh, I can't believe we uh, are standing up here. Uh, in the wind, with the wind in our faces, with this incredible view, uh, about to make a fire and record a podcast. This is pretty epic stuff, man. Oh, it's amazing from up here, isn't it? Look, if you look down there, just to the south, you can see the old road. Oh, that's right, yeah, winding its way through. We probably won't see anybody on it uh, at this time of night. And if we do, I don't know if we want uh, to run into them. But, uh, yeah, not, not only that, but we've got the hills uh, here just to, uh, to our right in the distance. And, uh, yeah, no, it's a, sort of a creepy, amazing place. Yeah, it's... Um... It's quite eerie, isn't it? I mean, it's got a bit of a Barrow White-ishness to it. Uh, I don't think you're the first person to say that, Ed. <laughs> no, I did. Well, that would not surprise me, James. That would not surprise me. We just wanted to break in and let you know that that was my cat Samwise and not an actual Barrow White. So do not fear for our safety. We'll be just fine up here on Weathertop. I'll get you right back to the show. Um, do we want to be lighting a fire? Uh, you know, I think we're fine to light a fire. If we were being, um, you know, if we're being looked for, uh, we'd certainly be advertising. But since it's just you and I up here doing a podcast tonight, yeah. I think we're pretty safe. Plus, I mean, how else are we going to cook that bacon? Ah, bacon. Nice, crispy bacon. I can't wait. Good stuff. Okay, well, look, look, I'll, um, I'll go set the fire up and I'll, I'll get it, I'll get it alight and, um... If you, uh, if you sort out uh, somewhere for us to sit and everything, that'd be great. Yeah, I will take care of that, Ads. And while you get the fire ready, I will take this opportunity to welcome everybody uh, to episode 11 of the Green Door podcast. We're really happy to have you. And uh, Ads is one expert with uh, an axe and a couple of pieces of wood, uh, of wood to rub together, uh, as long as one of them's a match. Right, Ads? Oh, indeed. Here we go. Cool. Um, And as you heard on the way in, as usual, we've got our good friend Nathan Mills from At Beyond the Guitar. If you haven't subscribed to his YouTube channel yet, please do yourself a favor. Head over there and subscribe. Uh, His music uh, covers sort of all the bases when it comes to uh, the Nerdiverse, uh, video games and movies, and all all your favorite stuff is over there. He he literally has dozens, so check him out. Yeah, it's something for everyone, isn't there? There's, There's a lot of good stuff there. He's really great. Uh, and tonight, while we stand up here in the wind and, and sort ourselves out with a place uh, to record, um, I'll be happy to have all this uh, extra battery equipment because it's pretty remote up here, Ads. And, and we brought something else, uh, a new piece of, I guess we could have called it equipment, but we've got something new uh, to try out tonight, don't we, Ads? We certainly do. We certainly do. And uh, for that reason, we, we actually haven't got uh, a mailbag uh, of sorts tonight. We have brought, well, we have the mailbag itself, we have, don't we? We have brought it, definitely brought it, but we, we've, we've put something else in it, um, something round and, well, wonderful. It is wonderful. Uh, and we'll get there not too long from now, but before we skip ahead, let's quickly say hi to all of our friends and, well, come on, Green Door family. Um, yeah. Following us on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, ads usually does at this point uh, sort of a list of names, but... We were talking about it off the show ads, and we were sort of thinking, we're getting too big for that, aren't we? We are. We've 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 gone from 
well, in the 80s, all of a sudden, we're 122 people in our Facebook group. And, you know, that's a lot for us, considering we've come from a zero to a consistent group of, of friends now that are just sort of hanging out, talking all about Tolkien and, and having a lot of fun. No, it's great. Uh, and we used to read everybody's name off, but now we'll just say hi to everybody. Yeah. And uh, hopefully you enjoyed your door. I want to you know, tip my hat quickly to Ads, who always comes up with something clever to say <laughs> at the top of every uh, welcoming. Which, um, you know, 120-something times now, Ads, that's a, a lot of clever things to say. I have to say, I have no idea how I've managed to keep it going so long, but it's always backed up by a very witty gift from you. <laughs> well, you know, look at you taking credit, actually, for things you didn't do. You've only done 121 of the 122. I, I think I did one of them. <laughs> I do apologize. That was a cracker as well. <laughs> All right, buddy. Um, so let's pull the mailbag out. Now that the fire is nice and bright, I do love seeing the mithril bag uh, shimmer in the firelight. I uh, let's pull it out and tell everybody what, what's inside. Okay. All right. So... This is an item that we have picked up on previous wanderings around Middle-earth and maybe even further because um, we are well-traveled, aren't we, James? We do, we do get to see some of these wonderful sights and we have picked up a Palantir which has actually been in, in Bag End now for a few weeks as a paperweight but we've a math, it. a mathem, if you will. Well, um, indeed, it's just been sitting around unused and unnoticed. Yeah, and we've brought it along uh, for a very special purpose, uh, which I will let James uh, tell you more. Okay, well, basically, we decided we've got too many um, wonderfully talented people in our uh, Facebook community. Yeah, we did. And so, Ads and I wanted to come up with a way uh, to involve some of these people in the show, get them, get them. Uh, in the green door, um, talking on our microphones, telling us about themselves and what they do. And the way we've decided to do that is through a new segment we're going to call, for now, um, Three Questions, or Juan, Two, Three. <laughs> woof, um, woof. I think that was yours, Ads. Yeah. Um, we'll come up with a, with a clever name between now and, and the next show. Something will stick. But we're going to basically have members of the Facebook community or, or our green door community come on the show uh, via the Palantir. And uh, answer three questions for us. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, um, as the lore masters know, uh, the Palantir, as beautiful as they are, really are only uh, seeing stones. Uh, so we had to download an app. Uh, and there are, I mean, it is 2018. <laughs> so I downloaded um, on, onto my uh, phone an app <laughs> for the Palantir that, that uh, adds audio. Adds. Yeah, that's, that's uh, brilliant. If, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. sent you the link, so you if, you just, if you take about 30 seconds now, if you haven't done it yet, it, do, it doesn't take long. Yeah, okay, I'll just do it now. <clears throat> Good. Okay, buddy, while you do that, I am very proud and happy to introduce our first ever guest on this new segment, Three Questions, Joel W. Hawbaker. Uh, Joel is a good friend of the show. He's a Christian, a speaker, an author... Uh, with two books out, Inverted Leadership and Extraordinary Leadership. Check those out on Amazon. Uh, he's a husband, he's a father, and a high school teacher, as well as a soccer coach. And, of course, a huge Tolkien fan. So uh, this Palantir seems to be giving me some, uh, some visual. I see you there in Alabama, Joel. Joel, can you hear me? Joel, can you hear me? Hey, guys, I can hear you extremely well. Uh, thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm honored and excited to be here, and I look forward to answering the questions that you guys ask. Good. Seems like we have audio connection. We have visual connection. I'm going to go ahead and let Ads ask you the first question. So go ahead, Ads. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, well Joel, this is very exciting. Um, your question, for first one... What part of where you live most reminds you of uh, Middle Earth? Oh, good question. I like that. I've got uh, I've got some yeah. things around uh, my neck of the woods that do that are, are quite transportive. When I when I look at them, I can easily imagine uh, different parts of Middle Earth. So I'd be curious to hear um, that about where Joel lives. 
Uh, that is remarkable clarity through the newly updated Palantir as well. That's pretty excellent. I'm glad you guys found that app. Um, as that's a great question. Um, I think around here, the things that most remind me of Middle Earth uh, is just the entire landscape. We've got uh, we got rolling hills. We've got uh, beautiful rivers and streams. Lots of tall old trees. And I think Tolkien would have appreciated those. I think he and Lewis would have enjoyed going on walks around here the same way that uh, my family and I do. So that's a great question. I love that one. Oh, great answers, Joel. Thank you for sharing. Uh, yeah, I like that. That's good. So question number two is coming from me, Joel. And my question is, if Professor Tolkien ever got his hands on your work, what would you want him to say about it? What would you want him to think? Oh, good question. Wow. Talk about a heavy, heavy question. Um, I think if Tolkien ever got his hands on my book, I would want him to think that it was um, written well. I would want him to think that it was uh, faithful to the message that the book was trying to get across in terms of uh, gospel-centered leadership. And I would really want him to... uh, I would want him to say that it was worthy of sharing with other people. I feel like if, uh, you know, he's got a great quote in uh, in Lord of the Rings where he says the, uh, I think it's Faramir talking with Sam, and he says the praise of the praiseworthy is above all reward. So if an author like Tolkien were to tell me, hey, your book's pretty good, that's that's some of the best praise I could ever get. So really, I guess I would, I would just want him to like it. Um, maybe I'd want him to say, boy, I wish you'd quoted me more. That'd be kind of cool as well. Right. Because uh, there are a few Tolkien quotes sprinkled throughout. But uh, that, I think those would be probably the things I'd really want him to say or think about my book. Wow. Yeah, no, great answer, Joel. Uh, and that makes a lot of sense for sure, uh, to get the praise of the people we look up to. <clears throat> Um, yeah. Question three adds, I was thinking um, of asking Joel, you know, about his favorite uh, book uh, of Tolkien's. What do you think? Or should I do favorite storyline or chapter? I'll tell you what, James. Why don't you do both? Okay, Joel. Tell, just tell us about, yeah, we'll let Joel pick your favorite parts, your favorite story, your favorite book, your favorite storyline, your favorite chapter. Give us uh, your favorite couple of parts about uh, Tolkien, Middle Earth, and his stories. Wow, so much. Um, I would say that one of my favorite parts uh, from the Silmarillion is everything having to do with Huon. So I'm a huge fan ads of calling this segment Huon 2-3. Oh, yeah. Uh, my wife and I have talked about how in the future, if we could, uh, if we get another, we have two dogs. If we were to get another, I would love to name him Huon. Uh, she would like to name another dog Wula, which is from another story that she loves. Um, so I love the stories from the Silmarillion. I love the story of Baron and Luthien, even though I can't read it without crying. Um, I love the stories in uh, in the Lord of the... I mean, I love The Hobbit as well. I read it to my kids when they were little, and we, we sang the dwarf song to them to get them to go to sleep for years. Um, in terms of the... I, I love the story of Arendil or, or Arendil and... Um, I, I love every story involving Sam because he's my favorite character in the entire trilogy. Uh, but I have one that's a little bit more obscure, and you guys will have to just bear with me on this one. Uh, in the History of Middle-Earth, Volume 9, it's called Sauron Defeated. Chapter 11 is called The Epilogue. And basically what it is is the um, the way that Lord of the Rings ends, uh, spoiler alert for people that haven't read it, the way that Return of the King ends with Sam coming back home to, to um, his wife Rose and saying, well, I'm back. That wasn't how the manuscript that Tolkien wrote originally ended. Uh, it actually went on to talk about Sam years later having a conversation with his kids and receiving a letter from Aragorn and that kind of thing. And the reason this means so much to me is... Um, my wife bought me this book for our one-year dating anniversary. So this is about five years ago now. And when I read this, um, it – well, let me, let me back up a little bit more. Um, I have loved Lord of the Rings since college. I read them for the first time when I studied abroad at Oxford. Uh, right. The movies were just coming out, and so I thought if I want to watch the movies, I want to read the books first because that's the kind of nerd that I am. And so I fell in love with these books uh, 17 years ago, and I've read them probably every year since then, or at least very close to that. And I've loved them and loved them and loved them. And then my wife bought me this book a few years ago, and it basically it was an extra chapter to The Lord of the Rings that I had no idea existed. Mm-hmm. And so when I got to read that for the first time, it was it was like meeting or seeing an old friend that you've known for years and you thought you knew everything about. 
and then you you heard a new story about them that you'd never heard before that only reinforced how much you loved them and enjoyed spending time with them. Um, so for anybody that hasn't read this particular um, chapter or this particular part, they really need to. It's just wonderful, wonderful stuff. So I would say those are those are some of my favorite parts from the books and from the stories. Um, excellent questions, guys. Thank you for having me on. Um, I love the connection through the Palantir, and I, uh, I look forward to continuing to hear some of the other people that um, – have, have really latched on to your show other people that love Tolkien and, and uh, love the stories from, uh, from Middle Earth and Numenor um, so I love what you guys are doing keep up the great work and thanks again for having me on okay well that is, that's brilliant Joel thank you ever so much for giving up your time um, the, the app here uh, is, is saying that uh, battery is low so we better call it, call it a, a night um, and thank you ever so much. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. Ads, um, this was a lot of fun, and I'm glad we did it, and I hope we're going to do it again because uh, we've got so many talented members in our Facebook group, from writers to, to authors uh, of, of uh, poetry and, and um, books and primers and novels, and we've got artists and painters. Uh, so we want to showcase some of your stuff, guys, and we're, we look forward to doing it on future episodes. Yeah, get in touch. You know, if, if this is something that you think, yes, I'd love to do this, let us know. We do have next week's lined up. It'll be Jeff LaSala. Um, oh, good. Yeah, he's, he's just an awesome guy, and it'll be fun to get to know more about Jeff. Yep, so Chapter 7, uh, entitled Of the Silmarils and the Unrest of the Noldor. And it starts, In that time were made those things that afterwards were most renowned, of all the works of the elves, for Feanor, being come to his full might, was filled with a new thought. Or it may be that some shadow of foreknowledge came to him of the doom that drew near, and he pondered how the light of the trees, the glory of the blessed realm, might be preserved imperishable. Then he began a long and secret labour, and he summoned all his law and his power and his subtle skill, and at the end of all, he made the Silmarils. Well read, as always. Thank you, thank you. Isn't it interesting? Uh, here we go again with the terrible secret keeper. Uh, yeah. The light of the trees is in jeopardy. He tells us right right now in the in this chapter that we're, you know that's important. Um, sure. And I put a poll out today in our uh, in Twitter or was it Facebook? Maybe it was both. Um, but did you see the poll I put out about? Um, Feanor's uh, making of the Silmarils and, and capturing the light of the trees. Did you see that poll I put out? No, I, I haven't seen that one. Okay, so my question was, was that an act of uh, man, man, Mandosian, I think I called it? Like, was he okay. on Mandos-level uh, foresight in doing that? Or was that a moment of, of like, uh, Hand of Iluvatar, catastrophe, Blind Luck? Like, what, how, how did you sort of see that? <laughs> That's a great question. I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, that was the third answer, and that's, de- what, I, that's what I answered in the poll. I put a third answer of, oh, uh, I'm not sure. Both of those are good. He definitely has foresight, doesn't he? I mean, there, there is definite examples of, of foresight, and if you think about it, his whole birth, he was, he was sort of born into this, this foresight that his mother gave him. That's true. Um, yeah, no, we talked about that last episode, how his mother seemed to, to be aware of the future and his future holding big things uh, as well. So, yeah, there's that. Um, and it seems to say, uh, it, the paragraph, the way it's written, would lead you to think that it is um, foresight, that he, you know, he sees the doom, he sees the fate yeah. uh, of the trees coming. But I was just wondering if, if it's, you, know, you could also look at it maybe as, as just sort of, man, that's, that was lucky that he did that. Because um, you wouldn't need foresight to want to capture the light of the trees in your jewel, right? You, would, no. you wouldn't need to know that they were going down to want to do that. Um, they were like the, no, the I, most I beautiful thing. It's like painting a sunset. You know, it, it, if the sun ever disappeared and someone found our art, our artists would look prophetic because yes. we, we painted so many sunsets, you know, but really it's just because they're so beautiful, right? That's a great way of looking at it, a really great way of looking at it. I mean, the thing I've just read, I mean, you're right. It does say it was filled with a new thought or... It may be that some shadow of foreknowledge came to him of the doom that drew near. So, I mean, even that paragraph 
it gives those two options, doesn't it? I mean, it says that this could have been a new thought that 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 Iluvatar has given him. Shall yeah, we say? Yeah, it's possible. I mean, we we yeah. do know that the it's not. Um, the Valor are are reluctant to intervene, but they do intervene certainly in in these affairs and these matters. Uh, that you know they sent mm-hmm. the Astari is is my example of when people say you know they they're hands off. I'm, well, they're not completely hands off. They do send heralds. They do, um, you know, totally. So, um, yeah, no, it's interesting. I just I, I I thought that there probably would be some different opinions, and and already there weren't many votes in the poll. It must have been in, in the Facebook group, but there were um, different sort of varying uh, takes on whether or not he was prophetic had the foresight there or if he was just dumb lucky yeah uh, yeah well the, the, it's a great question I, I i haven't seen it but i will check that out um yeah so the, the, yeah uh, that's how the uh, paragraph uh, or the that's how the chapter starts out we find out that uh, he's in his full might and he makes the silmarils and and they're pretty important based on the title of this novel we're holding right they absolutely are i mean it, it's great that we finally got got to meet them really to we we've got to this part of the story um, and uh, look, later on in the chapter, it, it refers to how, you know, this is sort of the um, the ending of the, the great first age, mm-hmm. uh, the ending of, of the great, you know, successful, peaceful time. You know, it's about to go very badly wrong. And um, this is this is almost the start of it now. Absolutely, and uh, the, the beginning of the end. I'm, I'm going to lead you into something that I know you want to talk about, um, which is similarly something I wanted to talk about, and we had these that, that parallel uh, inspiration today, uh, unbeknownst mm-hmm. to each other. But uh, we'll talk about the Silmarils themselves. Something um, that's really cool is uh, what it says in, in the very next chapter about how we don't know what they're made of. Like, and when I say no. we, I mean the reader, and apparently, like nobody in Middle Earth except maybe Feanor and I guess Iluvatar know what they're made of. It says they're made of some substance that was, you know, harder than anything else known. And, um, as, and as hard and as amazing as the substance was, it was, it was nothing compared to the beauty of, of the uh, light captured within. So the description of, of the jewels themselves reminded me of, of something and reminded you of something too, didn't it? It totally did. I mean, I've got here in my notes, you know, compare and contrast uh, with a few very familiar items uh, <laughs> that, that we know of already. So, I mean, the one I think you're getting at is the Arkenstone. Yeah, yeah, big time. I, when I read the description a chapter ago as well, um, when it said uh, that the, the elves had learned, uh, you know, when developing their skills, had learned to produce gemstones that uh, had a brilliance and a shine uh, greater than those produced in the earth. So that made, that made me think of the Arkenstone, that it didn't sound, mm. you know, it sounded like an elvish-produced gem, not a gem of the earth. Um, and then, yeah, this today as well. And I, I reached out to, to a few people to, to sort of ask them what they thought about that. I don't know much about the history of the Arkenstone. Um, and it, it, uh, the response I got back was something that I, I had in the back of my mind as well, is that, you know, these things that you're about to compare, and I'll, I'll let you set up the third one in a second here, but these things, yeah. um, the, the Silmarils and the Arkenstone and, and the third, third thing we're going to compare, are the sort of um, the treasures of Middle-earth. So they don't have to be related to each other to be similar. They're the treasures from different stories. So it's yeah. because of their literal connection, because they, they have the same author of the story, the um, author of those stories is the same. The treasures will be connected and sound similar and be described in the same ways just because of who the, the author is, even if they're not. Like, I was like, is the, El- is the Arkenstone maybe elvish? But, you know, that's not well, the connection, right? You obviously know that, the, as well as anyone, that I have read this book... Um, once and I'm now reading it again you know in preparation for each of, of these of these shows etc and I'm picking up a lot more the second time round obviously things that um, I read the first time I've actually realized you know they did go in I, I it's not it's not anywhere near as difficult to read this this wonderful book you know as, as wonderful as it, as it is it is still difficult to read and to get through certain chapters but it's much easier as a result mm-hmm. now of reading it the first time but i can remember reading this chapter and oh okay the silmarils so that's yeah the silmarillion fine that that makes sense and my my first thought when i read this chapter when i read this paragraph was i wonder if one of the Silmarils turns out to be the Arkenstone. Now, 
I know now, and I don't think it's it's too bad to to sort of say this. Um, I know it's not. I know I know that it's not the Arkenstone, but at the time that seemed a very possible conclusion. Plausible, absolutely. I guarantee you, you're not the first or last no. person to think that when they read this book no. that that's a possibility. That yeah, or or that they were like I I've read these books lots of times and. I was still wondering today what the history of the Arkenstone was. Um, you know, Jeff pointed out that the, the Noldor elves were never anywhere near where the Arkenstone is, is sort of dug out of the ground. You know, I right, said, I, right. Because I, I was like, maybe anybody could hit it in the ground. I, I know it was dug out by the, by the dwarves. I'm not saying uh, that they invented where they found it, but I thought, you know, maybe someone hit it. Uh, mm. But he, he pointed out that the Noldor were never really there, and they're the only ones who could have uh, made the gem in the way that we were talking. Sure. I mean, I, I just remember at the time of reading it, I, I possibly talking to you at the time in sort of in in the message uh, group, or or even going on to Google and you know typing in is the Arkenstone a Silmaril, and coming up with a lot of information to suggest it wasn't. So I, I can remember doing that at the yeah. time that I read it the first. Well, there you go. Uh, By based time, on your so. Google search results, I'm you know you're not you're not the only one who's had to look no, that. No, exactly, exactly. But um, the other thing that I thought when I read this was to compare and contrast the Silmarils, which we will learn a lot more about as this book develops, but to compare it with the ring. It sounds um, crazy, but there, there are things to compare there. Um, there yeah. There are. Even the makers, you know, uh, there's, there are things to compare between um, the ring and the Silmarils. And, and as much as, you know, some people don't like... I've seen when this comparison is made, some people say, oh, but, you know, the ring was evil and, and uh, you know, the Silmarils, you know, while bad things happened around them, they weren't evil themselves. Uh, so there's mm. a big difference. Well, that is true. Uh, but I'd, I'll say there's similarities to, to talk about as well. And the biggest one to me is, um, is, is how much they seem to hold power over um, the people who covet them. Yes. I mean, I totally agree that that's what I've, that's what I've made a note of. You know, it, it's it's the reactions that the Silmarils evoke in in others, in 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 those people that are in the proximity of them. The Arkenstone uh, does it to, to Thorin, like specifically. Yes. yes. Yeah. But not not to to Bilbo. No, Bilbo is Tom Bombadil when handling the uh, the Arkenstone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the ring. The ring has its own... It is its own character, isn't it? I think the ring almost makes decisions itself to fall off someone's finger. It's interesting you say that. I've, I've had that idea in my mind too, but recently in a post in the Tolkien Society, um, Alan Reynolds, who probably will never yeah. listen to our show, but uh, <laughs> I respect that guy's opinion a lot, and he, was, he, he pointed out that... That's a movie-based idea, the idea that the ring wants to be found, that, that famous sort of line. He's seeking it. Seeking it all his thought is bent on it. The ring yearns above all else to return to the hand of its master. They are one. Is, n okay. is not in the books. This idea that, that the ring has a consciousness isn't necessarily in the books. <laughs> Apparently. See... That's scary because that just goes to show how ingrained me too you can become in in a way of thinking based on you know an amazing film one you know we I know we both we both think very highly of seen you know, many 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 times it's right up there amongst yeah, my and, favorite movies of all time for sure but I and, actu and actually if you don't if you don't if you're not careful things like that can seep into your your um, understanding of, of, of what's happening. Yeah, it's it's we won't. Oh, this risks. It's another, it's a, big, another topic. a big sidetrack. But yeah, that's one of the yeah. things people, purists of the books, worry about when there's new material adaptations and stuff. They worry about what'll happen sure. to people's understanding of, of the stories. Yeah. No. Well, we're going to see over we? here. <clears throat> yeah. No, I agree. But we're going to see very very soon how that's going to all develop. I guess and. I'm sure there will be there will be issues, um, but we've we've touched on that before, and no doubt we're we'll touching on it again in the future. Yep, 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 yep. Okay, 
so yeah, um, made us made of something uh, beautiful and and with an inner light and heart is adamant. And uh, of course, uh, if something is that beautiful and amazing and one of a kind, it is also coveted. And as soon as they're made, yes, um, yeah. Well, uh, who falls in love with them first? But their maker, right? Feanor uh, basically um, falls in love with his own creation, and that always sort of spells doom, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It does. I mean, I um, I I like this chapter because it does it does show very quickly what will be a common feature throughout the rest of the book. Um, not just for Fay and all, but also for you know for Melkor lusting after the Silmarils. Um, it even talks of uh, later on with with the big party that. Uh, is held in I think the next chapter, and somebody turns up for the party, and he's not ordained in all his jewels and and what have you. And you know, it's the point that people were wanting to see the Silmarils. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this chapter is very good at showing quickly the effect that it has. Yeah, I agree, have. and and I like the way because it starts to describe here how how Melkor gets to work, right? Um, if if we remember from last chapter, he's, he's been sort of playing nice and pretending like he's got good intentions, all the right. while sort of seeping and, and, and finding cracks and seeing whose ears are, are open to gossip and whose lips will, uh, will spread things and exaggerate things. And so he's, he's working, he's playing a long game, and, it, and uh, at first, you know, he's not reaping much uh, for his efforts, but he doesn't seem to mind, and he keeps playing it. And eventually, uh, he's able to convince uh, different members of the family that everybody's out to get them. That uh, you know, that be careful. Be careful for your things. Be careful. You know, fear for yourself, because you know the other side's out to get you. And I couldn't help but be reminded of like 2018 modern politics. And I, I don't want to get into <laughs> a, a politics discussion. I'm not going to name names. You know, I'm not going to say, oh, you know, it reminded me of, you know, <laughs> or you know, so, some name. But um, I will say that Te- I, I was technically you just have anyway. <laughs> I was reminded of uh, <laughs> I was reminded of modern politics, and I thought, yeah, you know, that, that's great applicability because uh, that is how evil is spread. You know, these these half truths and these you know uh, these lies that are let let to breathe over time. Um, that is how this you know bad things happen in the world. And so I totally I liked reading through it today and, and being reminded of of the applicability of that to my life. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. And, and when I read this, and you see. As you say, Melkor spreading his lies, you know, his his whispering in the in the ears of of the various individuals, and he actually he actually poisons relationships between the elves and the Valar. He poisons the relationships between elves and men. Um, he poisons the relationships between elves and elves. You know, he. He he does this not just in this chapter but throughout as well, and this reminded me of, of back a few chapters ago, uh, the beginning of days when it talked about the spring of Arda um, being marred, mm-hmm. and and you know this is what Melkor is doing now. He's he's spreading his his lies. He's 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 whispering his his mistruths, and he's hoping to to reap and. And so benefits of it. And you used the word reaping and sowing earlier on. And that immediately, to me, is about growth. It's it's a good thing. It's something, you know, you would associate with a Yavanna, um, perhaps. They're positive words. But actually, these are being used uh, to describe something quite evil. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. You're right. Uh, it's, it's sort of a, a negative connotation on usually positive yeah, terms. yeah. Uh, yeah, reaping and, and sowing uh, good things or bad things. Uh, Melkor is definitely playing, uh, planting black seeds and, and growing some some evil stuff, and he's doing a pretty yeah, good job so. of it. Uh, yeah, he, he does do a good job of it. So much so that he, he manages to put a split into uh, the most powerful family around. Uh, he, he wants, he, and you notice adds he's messing with the Noldor, right? Most of all, yeah. He's, yeah, he's messing definitely. with the ones who have the things he likes best, like the Silmarils, for example. And and his skill set as well. You know, they all come from the same. Yeah, you're mold, right. Cut, don't cut they? from the same um, cloth, cloth of interest, anyways. They, they they seem to share the same uh, interests in a big way, especially yeah. making stuff. Um, but yeah, so he he's um, really messing with them most of all, and and effectively uh, breaking up the house of uh, Finway. 
Um, Feanor's already sort of easy to, to uh, get in his head. He's, he's lost his mom and he's jealous of his half-brothers and uh, he's hiding the Silmarils, which he's already started to lust after. There's no, no such thing as dragon uh, sickness yet because uh, <laughs> there's no dragons. <laughs> but he's got the dragon sickness anyways. Can we say that, Ads? I don't know. Is there, is there no such thing as dragons? Um, no, not yet. They haven't been invented. <laughs> they haven't, <laughs> they haven't crossed the road. Produced. <laughs> um, bread. Bread. Okay. Um, so I'll, I'll put that. I'll put that question after the show later. I'll, I'll ask uh, if 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 Fanor, if it was possible for Fanor to have the dragon sickness. Um, but he did, right? <laughs> he had it for the Silmarils. He did. No, yeah. he did. He absolutely did. He lusted after them, and it led to. You know, it led to jealousy, it led to pride, it led to anger, it led to a massive division, a very open vocal division between himself uh, and his his stepbrother. Yeah, and that's basically the split that Melkor was working on hardest. He's trying to, to yeah. get Feanor and Fingolfin, um, you know, to, to uh, distrust each other. Uh, and he does such a good job of it that uh, he convinces and teaches both sides... Uh, to make weapons in anticipation for the for the yeah. uh, t- you know imminent attack. Imagine that kind of life. And and this is um, this is this is the point that uh, you know off air we wasted about five minutes of me trying to remember what I wanted to say. Um, but <laughs> I was reminded of Shakespeare when this was going on. When I was reading this about how he's spreading the half lies here and and making them believe that you know, the, the dad and the half-brother are going to get you and no, they're really the valor are trying to keep you from the best part of Middle-earth and no, it, you know, he's spreading all these lies and I'm thinking to myself, I feel like I'm watching Hamlet or Macbeth or even A Midsummer Night's Dream where I'm like, just talk to each other. If the, I know. If the good guys just talk to each other, none of this happens. Like, these lies die. But Absolutely. Because... I mean, Finway's quite key in this, isn't he? And I think that's, that's part of the problem. Yeah, no, uh, I think basically the, the people who um, we trust to act in these stories, Manway, for example, who does nothing yeah. over and over and over again, Finway, the High King, <laughs> um, the people we trust to act, when they don't, you know, things go wrong. Uh, when, when the people yes. who are supposed to act don't act, you know, things go wrong. So, But do, don't you think it's incredible when you think about it? And I've only just reread that again, and, and it says... When Melkor saw that these lies were smouldering and that pride and anger were awake among the Noldor, he spoke to them concerning weapons. And in that time, the Noldor began the smithying of swords and axes and spears. So did they have no concept of what a weapon was before that point? Well, no. They definitely would have known weapons. Orome was a hunter, right? Um way before they ever awoke, and he was hunting fell beasts uh, in, in uh, a very young Middle-earth. So I think a spear definitely, I think that was his weapon, wasn't it, a spear? Um, I think they, that sounds they right. would have had weapons, but I don't know that they had swords before Melkor, you know, sort of deceived both sides and then said, like, maybe, you know, you should protect the, yourselves. That, he might have invented swords, or the elves who were working with him. So Feanor, you think, might be responsible for swords and axes and, what well, it says, spears here. And Amongst shields the also first. they may display in the tokens of many houses and kindreds. So they actually did, they, they, they're responsible for the, the banners as well. I'd say amongst the first. It would make sense they'd be, you know, the, the shields would be amongst the first since we've never heard of uh, outright attack um, amongst the, t- the two sides. So there wouldn't be a need yeah. for, for shields if they've never had weapons to attack each other with. So I would imagine that all of those are, if they're not the very first, uh, you know, amongst the very first swords ever and shields ever and axes ever. Fascinating. Yeah, yeah pretty cool. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, and it says that, uh, that Feanor actually um, made himself a foundry in secret, even secret to Melkor. And, and uh, we all know that he was the most learned and most skilled at, at uh, crafting stuff. And he learned, um, it says he learned, you know, all of Aule's secrets. I think it says something om- almost exactly like that. And I'm sure, I'm sure that's uh, hyperbole. Um, I'm sure Aule mm. was still a superior smith. But it suggests that, that Feanor was basically right up there with, uh, you know, with all the knowledge of, of an Ainu. 
Yeah, it does. It does. And that only gets... <laughs> well, that only gets worse, doesn't it? Because uh, of what's about to happen. And um, it, it causes... It causes... Um, Feanor to, to be able to increase his secret forge. Well, that's um, it. So, yeah, let's get right into that part of the action. This is a, a really okay. tense part of the book where yeah. um, basically the, uh, the the poop hits the fan <laughs> and uh, stuff blows up. And, and, and um, the rumors that uh, the, the Valar are, you know, out to get the elves and are keeping the best part of, of, um, of the planet to themselves. They don't want the elves to be in Middle Earth spreading and succeeding and, and dominating the planet and, and creating things more beautiful and um, you know all these lies that he's spreading. Well, it's working to the point where where Feanor starts starts to say outright, you know what? I've had enough of this you know BS. I've had enough of this nonsense where um, the, the Valar are keeping us from our rightful place. I'm I'm going to uh, anybody who wants to come with me, I'm I'm going to you know defy them and, and go back and and uh, take our rightful place. He starts to out. Uh, outwardly and, and uh, loudly um, speak out against the Valar, which, you know, then they yes. can't ignore it. And now they're aware of it, and, and there has to be that conversation that, that I was saying should have happened before, you know, in the Shakespearean style of, of gossip going around where you're like, just talk to each other and this is over. Well, that conversation does happen eventually where, the, where Manway, you know, says, okay, Feanor, um, we need to talk, but not just that. And here's something smart. Here, here's a point for Manway. He summons Feanor and everyone who was involved in the conversation and, right. and everyone who saw anything about the conversation. And the conversation um, we're talking about is, is um, I guess I skipped ahead, ads. Rewind with me here. Okay, so... What happened, well, what happened between um, the High King and Feanor and his brother Fingolfin? So Feanor comes in, doesn't he, and he finds uh, Fingolfin and Finway... Uh, Having a discussion, Fingolfin, who is basically he's saying saying to saying to his dad, he's saying to the king, you know, why is Feanor allowed to to do what he's doing? Why is he allowed to get away with with acting the way he is uh, and making decisions on behalf of all of us? Fingolfin's basically like dad. Um, why why is he speaking like the king? You're the king. And you have other sons, so like I don't know why he thinks that he, yeah. he's the king. Um, it, you know, he's going around talking, you know, uh, basically being insubordinate. Uh, he's he's speaking out of turn and out of place. Like, why is this happening? And and while that conversation's going on, Feanor busts in and sees that happening, and that's exactly what Melkor's been putting in his ear. You, you know, your dad yeah. and your half brother are conspiring against you. And it, it just all, it all, well, it, it lights the... It lights the fuse. It lights the paper, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And it, so much as to actually, to actually draw his sword... On his uh, brother. ...towards Fingolfin. Yeah. Um, and Fingolfin, to his credit, and, well, you know, what a fantastic character he is, but Fingolfin, to his credit, just walks out. Twice. Doesn't say anything. Turns leaves. the other cheek twice. Yep. Yeah. Very Shakespearean. You, you might say. Yeah, and, and um, but, you know, it pays off for him because... It does. Uh, he doesn't get reprimanded afterwards, even though it, it, it all shakes out that Melkor, you know, stirred the pot and caused a lot of this. Um, there are consequences for the actions of Feanor for drawing his sword on his brother, and, um, you know, I, and if Fingolfin had um, retaliated, there would have been consequences for him as well, I'm sure. Mm, yeah, so then what happens? So... Um, yeah, the, the, he he uh, confronts Fingolfin a second time at the front door, and says, uh, you, know, you know, watch your step, basically, and and or or else, and and sticks his sword right in his face, and Fingolfin again walks away, um, storms off, and then then the meeting of of the uh, Valar is called, and uh, basically, you know, Manway says Feanor is going to be held accountable for for what just happened, pulling pulling a sword on his family. Uh, but not only that, I want to hear from everybody. I want everybody who saw it, everybody who heard about it, everybody with everybody is going to be there. And so, with everybody in one place at one time, it, sh it you know they they discover it shakes out that uh, Melkor has been doing what he's been doing, Ups, spreading no lies. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you you mentioned right at the start uh, before we we press record um, that Mr. Tolkien smash. <laughs> 
turns up again. As soon as he hears this. What, Melkor? Yeah. He's, not, he's gone. He's a flash <laughs> of smoke. Off. He's out of the yeah, room. I'm going to get him. Uh, yeah, no, he's, he immediately bolts as soon as he hears Melkor's been, been up to exactly what, what um, Tulkas has suspected he was up to the whole time. Never trusted him, right? No, no. And he, look, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't get him, but um, he, he, he goes off looking for sure. Um, and Manway punishes Feanor. You know, there is a consequence to his, his action. Um, pulling a sword twice on his brother. I wanted to point that out there. I'll stop you just real quick. You, you know he gets yeah. a timeout, right? He, he, you know how you when your kid is bad. You, I don't know if you do timeouts, but when my when my kid's bad, like they get right. depending on their age. Like my four year old gets a four minute timeout. My two year old gets a two minute timeout. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, these morphs, these uh, elves are immortal. So twelve years, <laughs> in my estimation, is <laughs> he's a timeout. He got a timeout. That's a good. That's a good way of looking at it. I mean, I was, I was about to compare um, his punishment to to the the one they gave to Melkor. Right. Obviously, considerably. Melkor was grounded. Uh, less time. He was grounded. That is a great <laughs> analogy. I love that. Grounded for a week compared to a timeout. Sit on the stairs. <laughs> I will come to you in Think a minute. Think about what you did. Yes, I like that. But when he has his uh, timeout, his timeout consists of 12 years, um, unable to uh, to visit Tyrion. Oh, it says here, Therefore this doom is now made for 12 years thou shalt leave Tyrion okay. upon Tuna, right. I think. Um, and, uh, well, you know, because that's where this threat was uttered. Uh, and in that time, take counsel with thyself and remember who and what thou art. Think about what you did, see? Yeah, exactly. I love that. I had not considered that, but now every time I read this passage, <laughs> I will think of sitting on the stairs having a timeout. <laughs> uh, but he broods, right? He, he, uh, he pouts and he, uh, he takes his toys and he goes and he builds himself an, a, a new little uh, fort for his 12 years. And he hides his silmarils and he, he smiths new weapons and he... He doesn't seem to use his timeout in the way that it was probably intended. No, he does. He, he's, as you said, he kind of, he smoulders, doesn't he? He, he doesn't let go. Um, possibly the Silmarils acting, acting on him in, you know, in a confined, um, angry space, maybe. And his brother showing, uh, like, what a big person he is, the true sort mm. of nobility of, of a real elf lord. Uh, instantly, um, the part of the punishment was, you know, Manway says, it'll be 12 years, and then as long as you're forgiven by those you have wronged, you know, you can come back. And right away, yeah. Fengolfin's like, I forgive him. It's good. Yeah, it does It does show his character, doesn't it? Yeah. He, he is a very, very good uh, individual. Yeah, he's pretty much uh, Superman, um, Clark Kent uh, of, of Middle-earth in my mind, and, and he does some pretty amazing things in some future chapters as well, but... Really showing oh, no, his wait. true colors there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so Melkor isn't seen. He's he's not found by by Tolkis Smash. Um, until he turns up, knocking on Fanel's front door. Yeah, he, he skips out of town, turns into a cloud, um, which is which is weird that they notice that there's, you know, some sort of weird shadowy shade that the light of the trees yeah. seems dimmed. But they don't, I, they don't notice the cloud that's doing it. I don't know. I guess it's some sort of weird Melkor magic. But, um, yeah, it does say that, that sort of while he's hiding, that the light of the trees is dimmed, and, and uh, he, he sort of moves around as a storm cloud. And he does take his, himself and, and uh, finds Feanor at his, his little uh, pouting hiding place and says, uh, and says hey, I, no, remember as well, the Silmarils are there, which is really what he wants uh, from Feanor as much as anything else. And also re- remember that f- f- both Feanor and Melkor hate each other as well. Yeah, that's so true. Th- there is this undercurrent to the conversation that we're about to discuss. Um, you know, Feanor already hates Melkor. It is not something that will happen in the future. There is already this 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 mistrust and this hatred for him. And, and make Melkor versa, hates because, all elves. Feanor yeah, above. Um, all the rest, right? Because he he's made what what Melkor wants. You know, he wants these Silmarils. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of jealousy and, and and hatred and pride in in both of them towards each other and you know many other people. 
Yeah, but they're both desperate, and Melkor knows that. Melkor's got nowhere yeah. else to turn because he's in big trouble if anyone else finds him. Um, but so he goes to Feanor, who's, who's also an outcast, and he thinks, you know, maybe we can, even though Melkor knows Feanor doesn't like him, um, he, he thinks maybe I can make him an offer he can't refuse. And it almost works. He just pushes a little too hard, eh? He does, yeah. He touches, he touches a little bit too deep. Yeah, no, exactly um, he does. It says here on that interaction between Melkor and Feanor, now Feanor's heart was still bitter at his humiliation before Mandos, and he looked at Melkor in silence, pondering if indeed he might yet trust him so far as to aid him in his flight. And Melkor, seeing that Feanor wavered, and knowing that the Silmarils held his heart in thrall, said at the last, Here is a strong place and well guarded, but think not that the Silmarils will lie safe in any treasury within the realm of the Valar. But his cunning overreached his aim, his words touched too deep, and awoke a fire more fierce than he designed. It was, yeah, see that, so it was just a step too far. Feanor's entertaining the idea for like half a second or maybe half a minute, but then as soon as the Silmarils are mentioned, he instantly, Feanor instantly sees through Melkor's guise, sees exactly why Melkor's there, and he's furious, yeah, and he says... Absolutely, and he says, get thee gone from my gate." Thou jail crow of Mandos. I love that. So that, good. To me, that to me sends me thousands of years into the future to a conversation between Theoden, Gandalf, and a certain worm tongue. It's so good. And it's it's such it great is. language. The 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 I can I can Feel the spit that you would deliver at the end of that sentence. Yeah. Oh, jail crow. <laughs> like I know. It's so yeah. he says it with so much hatred and so it's such a vile creature in front of him that he, he can't come up with words that are demeaning enough to describe him, but it's he does a pretty good job. It does. And if you if you take that similarity between uh, the, the storm crow uh, of of, of what Theoden and Wormtongue refer to Gandalf being. He's not welcome. Why should I welcome you, Gandalf Stormcrow? A just question, my liege. You then see what Feanor is calling. Melkor, you know, Jail Crow, Storm Crow, um, it, it, it's the whispering in the ears, isn't it? it it's the it's the whole similarity around uh, surrounding what Wormtongue does to Theoden and what Melkor has been doing to to engineer this this big fallout between all the elves, and I just love it. I think it's fantastic. It is good, and uh, yeah, and and. Of, you know, of Mandos, he's basically, I'm going to put in a, a, a language warning and maybe I'll beep it out, but he's basically saying, you were Mandos's yeah. That's what he's saying, you know? Yeah. You're, you're, yeah. You're, you're, you were nothing. You were, the, you were held by Mandos and you're, you're a jail crow. You're a gossip. You're a, you're a weasel. He just, oh, I love it. I love the language. I love the, the, I love the message behind it, how he just is yes. so contemptuous for him in, in that moment. No, it's brilliant. Really, really good. Really, really good. Um, and yeah, that's that's where we're we're gonna work towards leaving off because that's sort of how the chapter ends. Um, Melkor from there realizes he's out of uh, options. Uh, Feanor has basically turned him down and, and threatened him with his tone, if nothing else. So uh, Melkor storms off. <laughs> uh, he, clever, yeah, clever. He um, he actually leaves. Um, he leaves altogether. He uh, breaks his word of, of staying in, in uh, Valinor and escapes uh, and leaves altogether, and the shadow is lifted. The light of the trees is restored uh, back to its normal state, and, um, and he's gone, and Tulkus is PO'd, man. He's not happy about it. <laughs> you know, he's, he's missed him again, isn't he? And uh, as we'll see in, in the next chapter, he, um, uh, he continues to try and, and find, find him, but uh, to no avail. No, it's, uh, it's not the end that he wanted. Um, he sort of saw it coming and, and thought that he'd be there to pounce and, and uh, 
and jump on Melkor when he when he turned, but uh, Melkor got away, which which probably lit a real fire under Tulka since he he knew right. That's got to be the real irk for him. He's like I I told you guys I, the whole time we can't trust this guy. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, and then Orome and, and Tulkas, you know, they, they it says they sprang up, but even as they set out in pursuit, messengers came from Eldamar telling that Melkor had fled. Um, they would be pissed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, buddy, we made it through the chapter. We have, we have. Can I say one more thing? You can say lots more things. We've got time. Let me say one more thing, at least. I think that this chapter is a great way of showing how much foresight uh, the professor actually has had. Because a lot of this chapter reminds me of modern-day family squabbles, of, of families who have fallen apart, of stepchildren that don't get on. And you would imagine that when, when uh, Tolkien was... was writing these notes for for Christopher to put together um, many years later, those sort of things wouldn't have been as as commonplace. No, for sure not. I mean, yeah, you had had a lot of... But uh, step families and, you know, brothers and sisters and, you know, half families and stuff are much more common today than they would have been. Um, But, yeah, you're right. He he sort of, you know, that that dynamic uh, is... uh, causes the rift that starts the, the the whole epic tale off so yeah he seems to be pretty forward thinking in terms of uh, how, how he addressed the family dynamic I wonder um, I don't know a, a lot about his own personal like we could look this up and I will now that I'm curious but I I wonder if any of it's based on like uh, you know personal experience or if it's all just uh, invented for for the uh, the riff in the story yeah I don't know I don't know but I just thought that was a, a nice little well a nice little extra point um, because you, you see it all the time these days. You know, it's not uncommon at all to to, to find families you know who have, have broken up, you know, there's children from different relationships, etc., etc. And it's a lot more commonplace now, but it wasn't back then, I'm sure. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and we can say a couple more things. You said uh, you said you wanted to say one more, but I have at least a couple more I want to jump oh, into. Oh, go for it. Um, so yeah, we've, we've wrapped up the chapter, but we'll, Ads and I are just going to uh, sort of chat our way out here for a few minutes if you want to stick with us. Uh, I wanted to say, uh, bring a comment to uh, the listeners and ads that I got from Meredith today through uh, Ruben. Ruben and Meredith are new members of ours. Um, and ads heard, hey guys, um, we're, we're really happy to have you aboard. Uh, and Meredith's yeah. feedback, she's never read this Silmarillion. She listened to our, our first uh, episode and maybe the second one today. Her feedback was... We have to use names more often and pronouns less often. So I think that was good feedback. I've listened to a few episodes myself and noticed that we do that. Uh, okay. And it's, much, you know, it's obviously harder to follow for someone who doesn't know all the details if we say he and she instead of Manway and Varda. Um, no, I like that, so yeah. We'll, we'll try to do that, that more. That's, I think that's good and useful feedback, so I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and something else I wanted to bring up before we headed out. Um, we were discussing today, I, just, I tried to put out a tweet to express this idea uh, that came to me, uh, but it's too long to put into uh, limited characters, and it's also harder to express uh, through writing. But the idea I wanted to put out there was um, a few times in the last, I don't know, month or so, I've seen different tweets or posts um, asking about the Silmarillion. Is it a tough read? Uh, how do you, you know, do you recommend any uh, exterior materials to exterior materials to read with it? Uh, you know, how, how do you approach it? And so on and so forth. And, um, you know, it, it's obviously it's, it's uh, an amazing book that we love very much. Um, yes. It's not the easiest book in the world to get into. Uh, and... Uh, for some people, you know, they, they, they try and they fail and they think, ah, you know, I, I don't need it. And you don't. You don't need to read it. But here's why you should. Um, to me, uh, the analogy is, the best analogy I can come up with is as follows. You know when you're, you're at the pub and you're with your friends and there's like that guy or girl in your group of friends who's really good at telling stories and they have their best story or their best couple of stories. And even though you've heard the story like more times than you can count... <laughs> When there's yeah. someone new around, you can't wait for them to tell that story. 
Because it's a good story. And so whenever someone news around, you're like, oh, Bill, tell her about the time, uh, you know, that the bear <laughs> stole your wallet and, or whatever, you know, whatever the crazy story is. And, and that sounds you, a good story. That does sound a good story. <laughs> um, and, it's, you know, Bill starts tell, t- telling it and, and you're listening along and you could tell it yourself. You've heard it so many times that, you, you know, you, you know the climaxes and you know what happened and you could tell the story yourself. That's what, that's what it's like to be a fan of Lord of the Rings and read it lots of times and watch the movies it's like, it's like knowing Bill and knowing his story. He's Lord of the Rings, and that's his story. The reason to read The Silmarillion, for me, is now, the next time Bill tells that story about the bear who stole his wallet, you get to be the guy who was there. You get to be the guy who's like, yeah, oh, Bill, that was crazy. And then he chased you around the canoe, and Bill's like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. And everybody yes. who's heard the story a million times, well, they've yes. never heard this new part, because new guy's there who was there when it happened. I love it. Reading the Silmarillion is like being there when it happens. So when you read the Lord of the Rings afterwards, it's not, like, it's not just that you've heard it and you know it well. It's that you know the motivations to the things that happened behind the story of Lord of the Rings. You know where the artifacts came from and why they're important. And so, I don't know, I just, I, I wanted to put that out there somewhere. I couldn't put it out in a tweet very eloquently. I don't know that I did a much better job on the no, show. No, you did. But I wanted to put it out there because I think for anybody who's hesitant to jump into the Silmarillion, it is, it really, the payoff is so worthwhile in terms of not only is, is it amazing and, and wonderful to know for the stories themselves, but what it does to what most people consider their favorite um, part of Tolkien, Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit, what it does to those stories is just, you know, hard to put into words. It is. I, I'm going to add something to that. I think that was brilliantly put. And you, if you could see me now, I've had a smile as you've been you've been like reliving that that very eloquent point. Um, I would say that I sent a tweet out. Um, was it a tweet? I think it was a tweet, and it was also in our Facebook group uh, about a month ago now, and it was of a, a picture of an iceberg. Oh yes. My favourite book, as I've said numerous times, is Lord of the Rings. And Lord of the Rings uh, is depicted in this this picture of the iceberg by the bit that's sticking out the water. And it's still a pretty big bit, but it's, you know... It's It's a wonderful bit. sticking out the water. Don't get us wrong. It's a wonderful bit. It's, you know, it's beautiful. The sun's shining on it. It's lovely. Underneath the the sea, underneath uh, the surface of the water is this gigantic, huge, massive rest of the iceberg. You know, it's the bit you don't see. It's the bit that you can't possibly see if you haven't read the Silmarillion. So when you read The Lord of the Rings, you see just the top of the iceberg. If you then read The Silmarillion, you get all of the bit underneath the water, and it enriches the book it enriches the lord of the rings it it has enriched my favorite book no end because things now tie together in a different way you know names that were just thrown into the book that i would just read over and not really know who they were suddenly oh that's that's manway uh it's or, it's or that's varda and it's it's brilliant it really so, is there's my there's my two pens. Good addition. I like that ad. So yeah, if you want to be, uh, if you want the whole iceberg, you want the whole kit and caboodle. If you want to be, the next time people talk about Lord of the Rings, if you if you want to be the guy who was there when it happened, um, read the Silmarillion because uh, the perspective it gives you is definitely worth it. Um, Superb. Yeah, we got it out there. We got our message out there. Let's talk homework ads. Okay. Well, homework. It's quite simple. Chapter eight of the Darkening of Valinor. Yeah, we'll be jumping on that, won't we? Oh, we will. It's a good one. It is a really good one. I cannot wait to get into this next this next chapter. Yeah, we're we're really building steam now, aren't we? We are. Cool. And uh, I'll add to the homework as well. Uh, if you haven't gone and uh, subscribed to our Facebook group, please. Uh, you know, we like building custom doors. Uh, Ads is really talented at it. So uh, come join us. <laughs> uh, follow us on Twitter. Uh, at the Green Door Pod, the Facebook group is the Green Door Podcast. Uh, yes, definitely go and check out uh, Harry Merle, 
whose music, if it's not playing in your ear balls already, will be starting up very shortly. And Harry takes us out of every episode with this beautiful uh, Rohan uh, medley, which we love. Love it. Uh, he's really great, so thank you, Harry. And uh, ads, before we go uh, and, and close up the show entirely, is there anybody you want to say hello to, goodbye to, or anything I left out? Okay, well, I'll, I'll say a very generic... Uh, thank you to everyone in our Facebook group who continues every day to make us smile with with their posts, with their comments, with you know their responses to to my doors, you know the Barrys etc. Who continuously um, send a gif, uh, Ashik as well, brilliant. So all all of you guys and girls in there, thank you. Also, Tumbling Saber, Star Wars podcast superb get on that and our friends alan and sean at the prancing pony um also do a fantastic uh podcast all about you know this wonderful wonderful um set of books well done sir uh thank you you you, uh covered a couple on my list but that's good that gives me the opportunity uh to say hello to Corey olson the tolkien professor uh, if yes. you haven't checked out Corey's stuff, he's got a great book out there. At least one that I just ordered actually on Amazon. I'll post a picture when it arrives. But uh, he's also got a terrific podcast, so check him out. Uh, and I wanted to say uh, a quick hello to our ever-missing podcast mate, May. We miss you. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm going to shout from the top of Weathertop here. May! 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 I don't think she heard us. No. Good echo, though. Thanks. I think um, I've broken up all three kids. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we are missing May. She's incredibly busy uh, doing her own uh, things, which are infinitely more important than our silly little podcast. But we do wish you well, and yeah. uh, we hope we can get you back on the show real soon. We know you're uh, busy with putting together your book that you're authoring, which, you know, frankly sounds like an excuse. I could put together a book in, like, what, a weekend ad? I reckon. Yeah. Maybe seven days, but it's certainly not the time she's taking. No, I could color all the pictures and everything, I'm telling you. <laughs> Mate, there will always be a place at the fireside uh, for for you. Yeah, we can't wait to get you back. Yeah. We can't wait. And, uh, yeah, and, and a special thanks also to our ring bearer, Caitlin, who is always supporting us in every which way. Hi, Caitlin. Uh, I hope you're enjoying your hey, owl's nest because that thing is really cool. Check her out on Twitter. Oh, yeah, that's good, isn't it? That's yeah. really good. Grim Cookies. Uh, she's, she's got some really cool stuff. All right, buddy. I'll say goodnight okay. to you. Um, well, yeah, goodnight to you, James. And, well, look out for us, especially at unlikely times. Goodbye, dear hobbits. Ads, that's so well said. I'm going to tell everybody to keep their feet and happy wandering.